Welcome to the Crossing Church Weekly Sermon Podcast. For more information about this podcast and other resources, visit our website at thecrossing.cc. Thank you. Thank you guys for saying I appreciate that. You cut my bumper music off. I was kind of grooving to that. It's all right. Hey, well, how are y'all doing this morning? How was your Thanksgiving? All good there? Do look a little heavier, I'm just going to say, but we've got a little time to work that out. I probably look a little heavier, too. No, and Merry Christmas to you, and this is when you say, there we go. So we're going to be doing this every Sunday. We'll get a little better every Sunday, so Merry Christmas to you. All right, looking good there. So gang, uh, we are starting a new series today, and uh, if you weren't with us this last month, we had four weeks on God, the Holy Spirit. And I would encourage, if you didn't see those messages or hear them, go back and review those. Those will be helpful to you. We certainly didn't exhaust the topic at all in in a month. But we are in the Christmas season now. And uh, you guys turn to Isaiah chapter 43. We're going to dive right in. This is called A Thrill of Hope. That's what our Christmas message is about. Everybody say the word hope. Hope. I want to read I want to read this out of, uh, this is a Webster's. It says, hope is an optimistic state of mind, an optimistic state of mind that is based on expectation of positive outcomes. Man, don't you just feel better just hearing that? How many optimists do we have in the room? If you're married to an optimist, point at them. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I got to say it again, an optimistic state of mind that's based on expectation of positive outcomes. Outcomes. I want to encourage you as we get into this Christmas season. And well, let me just say this: on behalf of optimists everywhere, I want to speak to the pessimists everywhere. And it's okay; we're not at war with each other. But I know that our people make your people afraid. So I want to put it on the table. I know you're you're thinking, but what could go wrong? You're not looking at what could go wrong. We know something could go wrong. But you don't know this and this and this. I know. We know. We just don't pay attention to it. (laughs) Here's what I always say. People ask me all the time. So, Pastor Eddie, how are you doing? Right? You get this all. How are you doing? I answer it the same way every time. I tell them this. I got two buckets. I got a bucket full of praise gods and a bucket full of oh my gods. (laughs) Literally all the time. Right? And so do you. And uh, my mood is going to be driven by which one of these I look at the most. And honestly, I mean, I, I can look at my, oh, my God, what if and whatever. Oh, it's not that I'm not aware of them. I just, you know, as much time as it takes to think about what could go wrong, I could spend the same amount of time thinking about what could go right. That's just the difference. And so uh, anyway, I just want to encourage all of our optimists. Keep being optimistic. I want to encourage all of our pessimists. I'm, I'm not sure how to do that. I just uh, uh, look at the bright side. Uh, Look at the other end of the glass. It is a half full. So I'm a half full guy. You're going to hear that this morning. But I I really do believe that God has given us a way to look into the future. And honestly, all of our circumstances, they are all prophesying to us something. They're all prophesying. And prophesy means it's predicting the future. That's what fear is. Fear is a prophesying spirit that predicts a future absent of God. And so when we're always dealing with fear, you're dealing with a prophetic spirit that's just prophesying something other than what God says about your future. And uh, also, but faith, is, it's a prophesying spirit. It just says this, look, hope, 
It's a prophesying spirit. It's of God. These three things remain. Everything else will pass away. Faith, hope, and love, those things are going to just keep on trucking. So I just want to encourage you over the Christmas season, just look, we can either let circumstances predict and define us, or in the middle of just yucky, we can stand up and just believe and have faith. And uh, I got to tell you, it's a choice. It really is a choice. And some of us are wired. I mean, I do have to say, I'm kind of wired. I, I, I love denial. I live in denial a lot by choice. It's just, you know, I, I just prefer not to look at certain things. Let's look at this here. Um, now, you're in Isaiah 43, and I'm, 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 I'm there with you. Isaiah 42 is the prediction that Jesus Christ is going to come. This is a season of hope, a thrill of hope. It's all about uh, hope. And Isaiah 43 continues, again, just understanding this. Isaiah now was a prophet to Israel, a messenger from God to Israel when they were in Babylon. So they're being disciplined by God for 70 years. And if you can imagine being slaves to a foreign people and what that makes you feel like, what are you thinking? You're looking at your circumstances and here's what they were thinking. God's abandoned us. We're done. He, I mean, he did have a plan, but now he no longer has a plan. That's why Jeremiah uh, is sent by God to tell them. He, he, Jeremiah tells them, you don't know what I'm thinking. You think my thoughts toward you are bad and toward calamity because you're being disciplined for, for your past sin. But you need to know, I, I know my thoughts, and my thoughts toward you are for your good. They're not for calamity. They'll give you a future and a hope. And even though your circumstances look like we're abandoned, we're in big trouble, God is still God. His plan is still the same, and he just has a way of working things out. Isaiah had a similar assignment to continue to let the people know that even though their circumstances just stunk, everybody say stunk, it just, it just was cruddy. Even though they were in that situation, that wasn't a depiction of who God was regarding them. He loved them, and he still had a plan for them. So Isaiah 43, a message is sent to these captives through Isaiah, and it says, but now thus saith the Lord who created you, O Jacob. Everybody say Jacob. And he who formed you, O Israel. Everybody say Israel. Israel. Now, one, one thing, just know, these aren't two different people. This is one and the same person, and it's, and it's uh, one of the forefathers of Israel, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. But Jacob was given a new name, and that's what we're going to talk a little bit about. So he's talking about the same thing. I created you, Jacob. But formed you, Israel, fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by your name. I want you to hear my inflection because it matters. God is saying, we got two names on the table, Jacob and Israel. I called you by your name. Uh, you are mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And through the rivers, they shall not overflow you. When you walk through the fire, you shall not, shall not be burned or consumed, nor shall the flames scorch you. Two things here, and I want everybody to say the word hope. hope. This is just a, a belief that, man, think something good is going to come out of this. Somehow good, it's just being optimistic. Now, I, I uh, have a very just certain word here today, and that's a prophetic word for two groups of people here. One is some folks that came here today, and you're in a cruddy season. You're just in a cruddy season, and your circumstances are, are, are your, your, the voice, the, the things you're hearing in your head are, God doesn't know anything about you. He doesn't care about you. 
He's abandoned. Look how long it's been. And we're here in the West. We believe that everything should go fast. We pray it on Sunday. We should see it by Monday. And uh, God's eternal, so he doesn't wear a watch, has no day planner. Just, he's just very relaxed with time, unlike me. And, uh, but here, I'll tell you, some of you are here and you're in a cruddy season. Not everybody. Some of you just got out of one. Some of you may be going into one. But Israel was in a cruddy season, just stunk. And there were not indicators in their circumstances that God was in any way endorsing his love or care or plan for them. But even though they couldn't feel it, it was still true that God loved them and had a plan for them. And uh, so I've got two things here regarding hope and God. And the first one is hope, you will get through this. Hope, you will get through this. If you're in a cruddy season, I want to show you how Jesus got through the worst day that any human, the worst weekend any human's ever endured. This is Hebrews chapter 12, says, therefore, since we are surrounded by such a huge crowd of witnesses to the life of faith, let us strip off every weight that slows us down, that's an instruction, especially the sin that easily trips us up, and everybody here has a sin that easily trips you up. Everybody looks holy when I say that, like, well, not me, who's he talking about? I'm talking about you. <clears throat> I've asked the Lord for prophetic words, and your face is going to appear up here, and I'm going to call your sin out. <laughs> it, gets, it gets awkward, I'm just saying. No, I do know your secret sin, but I'm not going to say it. Uh, let us run with endurance the race God has set before us. We do this by keeping our eyes on Jesus, the champion who initiates and perfects our faith. Isn't that great news that he's the one working out, starting, and perfecting our faith? Here's how he got through a bad day. Because of the joy awaiting him, or the scripture I, I grew up reading, but because of the joy set before him, he endured the cross, disregarding its shame. Now he's seated at the place of honor beside God's throne. Think of all the hostility he endured from sinful people, and then you won't become weary and give up. And here's what I want to encourage you with here today. If you're here and you're in a cruddy season, and you're, you're hearing all of these messages, here's what you want to do. You want to set, here's what hope is. It's setting joy before you. The, I, love, I love, Paul said it this way, these light and momentary struggles. Momentary. You know what a moment is? It means it had a first second, and it'll have a last second, but that won't be your last second. You will outlive this. This is the message to you today. You will outlive the yuckiness of how it feels right now. Keep your head up. Keep the faith. Endure the pain. You, look, it, look, look, you can handle this. Amen? You can handle this. It's not pain unto death. You can handle this. Um, I, was, I told my mom uh, earlier this week, and uh, actually yesterday, <laughs> earlier this week was not any fun. Uh, yesterday, she and I, my mom, was watching Alabama-Auburn. Uh, you know, how is a good mom. And uh, yeah, that didn't go, yeah, that went good for you, didn't it? Yeah, it did. <clears throat> we got an Auburn person here. I got a bunch of Alabama people here, and uh, they failed to make it to church. They are in such grief, but we won't talk about that. Uh, so we're watching that, and, uh, and I just looked over at her, and I said, well, Mom, this week is in the books. It's in the books. It was an ugly week. We got through it, and I thank God that one's over. Anybody have a week where you could say, thank God that one's over, right? And uh, it was one of those weeks. Um, the scripture says when you go through the fire, 
it won't scorch you. Uh, last Sunday, had a great time here at the church and uh, went to bed Sunday night, like, like every Sunday night, and got up early on Monday. I had a little quiet time. Stacy and I have a standing date on Monday mornings. We go to drink coffee together at some place, usually a Starbucks, and we talk about everything under the sun. What are we doing for Thanksgiving, and who's coming over, and when do we cook this and that, and Christmas, and how, you know all of that, budget for Christmas, and just life, and we usually go strolling around and go find you know things to buy. And uh, for her, I love buying for my wife. I love shopping with my wife. And so this is somewhat, some version of that usually happens on Monday. And I've got a second somewhat date, and that is I, I call my mother. My mother's 83 years old, and every Monday, since my, my father passed, pretty much every Monday, I call my mom. And uh, we talk about what sons and mothers talk about, doctors. And uh, we talk about, you know, eye appointments and hip appointments and feet appointments. And, uh, and then we talk about my aunt, my Aunt Glenda, uh, you know, her eye appointments and her feet appointments and all that. So, but just normal stuff. And uh, so that was probably 11.30 or 12 uh, that that happened. That's early for me. And uh, so I go home and I'm working on the nativity. I'm trying to finish it up and uh, it's all built in my place that's looking good. But I'm about 20 feet up in a tree so I don't have my phone with me. And uh, life is just kind of normal. I'm enjoying fixing my star. I wasn't up at the tree doing nothing. I was up there fixing the star on the nativity. And uh, Stacy comes out. I was working on something else. Stacy comes out with my phone. I think it was Stacy. And I said, you got a bunch of calls and uh, something's going on. You need to call your mom. And I look and there's a text from uh, my nephew that said, uh, Nino, that's what he calls her, Nino's house is on fire. Something like that. Yeah, that's like a, now that's different. Uh, that changes our Monday. And so, uh, I, 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 for some reason, I read it like, you know, something caught on fire and got put out. And so I didn't really change the pace of what I was doing. I was kind of like, okay. You know, so I nailed the last nail and whatever I was doing. I go down and I call my mom, kind of expecting to hear, you know, something happened, it's, it's fine. And my mom is just calm as can be, calm. And uh, she says, Randy, uh, the house caught on fire. I said, well, Mom, uh, I, will, I will get in the car. I'll, I'll come get you right now, and I'll help you get packed up. Because I'm thinking smoke and all that. She says, there's nothing to pack up. And I said, and I'm, honestly, I'm still thinking she's, she may be over-exaggerating some. So I said, well, my nephew was already halfway down there. But the more she talked, the more uh, I'm going to sneeze. Sorry. <coughs> I've never done that. Um, uh, anyway, it's a tradition. Anytime one of our homes burns down, you have a sneezing fits. This is what we do. Uh, I, you know, asked my mom, uh, what do you mean? She said, Randy, it's all gone. And uh, I want you to see this. Uh, Monday, when we woke up, this was the house. This is my, my mom and dad's house. It... Uh, I don't know, 2,500 square foot old house. The house was built, actually, it's probably 50 years old or more as it sits right there. They've been in it 20 plus years. And it was built out of an old school that had been up for 50 or so years. I mean, the materials in it are 100 years old. Uh, the floors in it were made out of the gymnasium floor that was in the old school. This is in Bedeis, Texas, by the way. Y'all have all been there. It's quite the spot. Bedeis, Texas, this is where they went to retire. 
And Bedize is a little one-horse town, two gas stations. Uh, what the Woodlands Mall is to the Woodlands, the Dollar General store there is to Bedize. Literally, it changed the whole atmosphere, something. Grand opening, you know, cut the thing. So the mayor was there. So that, this is the kind of town. It's just a sweet little place, a little three acres. Dad did his farming there. And we've had many a Thanksgiving and Christmas and lots of memories and all kinds of things that that were here in that house. And, and on Monday morning, it still looked like that, but at about 2 o'clock, it looked like this. You believe that? I mean, it just went up quick. That's my mom's little CRV right there. Uh, you can show the next picture there. Fire actually started over, this is where it started. That was a, a bit of a carport, and the breaker box is back there. That's the suspect, but we don't know. Anyway, it went through that house, and... Um, on Tuesday morning, when me and my brother went there, this is what it looked like. I mean, when she said it's all gone, I mean, it's all gone. And uh, my mom is with us, and we, we are, and, and, but, so here's the deal. Me and my brother get there, and all I'm thinking of is, is there anything salvageable there? And so we, we rummaged through this, and here, here's some of the things that we found, a box full of pictures. And uh, you can show the next one. That's my sister, Lynn. And uh, it was uncanny. Now, I got to tell you, it was uncanny, the pictures that were preserved. After a fire burns it to the ground, and firemen put 16 tons of water on top of it, uh, we found the pictures of my sister's funeral, which could, were irreplaceable. Uh, like two stacks of multiple pictures that were just priceless, and they were pristine. I mean, of all the pictures, they're just pristine. And uh, just uncanny, the pictures that we found there. But uh, so, as, as so, what I'm telling you, we've been through the fire this week, yes. literally been through the fire. And uh, I have a go-to and under pressure, and uh, that is when it comes to feeling what the current moment feels like, I skip that step. I just skip it because there isn't time to cry or there's just not time for it. Uh, I'm, I'm responsible for this. I, I didn't burn it down. I, <laughs> I didn't do that. Uh, I mean, I'm, I'm responsible for my mom. And so, uh, the same way, when my, when my father passed away and I was in the emergency room while they're working on him, and I know what's happening in there, I, I, there wasn't a, please don't think of me unfeeling, but there wasn't, a, there wasn't hardly any feeling about what was happening then. All I could think about was how I'm gonna tell mom, where are dad's books, how am I gonna put this back in order, and I, and I could look really bad to you by saying that, but those of you that know when you're responsible, you don't have time to feel. You gotta skip that step. I'll get back to grieving the irreplaceables here, but when we walk up on it, uh, we gotta get busy. I got work to do. Uh, insurance called, and uh, wh wh why am I telling you this? I, I, part of me is telling you this because what I'm telling you here, I know what it is to have the grace of God show up and uh, honestly, not cry a tear. It's not that my mother isn't devastated. She is. And it's not that when she's crying that I, I don't take time. My wife has been a champ, uh, really, helping my mom. When I say she lost everything, 
there's everything. She walked out with the clothes on her back, cell phone, and was able to back that car out, and it's got some damage, and we'll figure all that out. But what's going through my mind when I walk up on this scene is what can we salvage? Did we have enough insurance? Uh, what do we do next? You know, mom's driver's license and credit cards, and all is gone. So that's, that's honestly what's going on in my mind. And as people are coming up, and you're going to think, Pastor Randy, you, are, you need counseling, and I do. Uh, but I, I'm, I'm thinking here, I'm because I already have thought through, ultimately, someday I'm going to be responsible to sell this place or do something with it, and now the house is gone. Uh, literally, one of the neighbors came over. And she said, I don't mean to be unfeeling, but I own all these hundreds of acres around you. This is the only part I don't own. And uh, literally, I'm, literally, I'm not trying to be insensitive, but I just want you to know, when y'all get to that point, I'd like to make an offer. And she put a number out. And, uh, and I'm thinking on the inside, that is not unfeeling at all. We're tracking, sister. Yeah. I, I mean, I'm, I'm already way down the road. Now, why am I telling you all this? I'm telling you this because... The moment we're standing in right now is yucky. It's just cruddy. And I think I've said this to Stacy a time. I mean, our schedule is just a wreck. It's a mess. We're already busier than our, you know, it takes everything we can to manage our busyness as it is. You know, just on kind of the selfish side of things, it's like, man, there's no control of the schedule right now. But here's what I know. And write this down. This moment is just this moment. That's all it is. It's yucky for right now. But I have walked with God way too long to take a whole lot of time to cry about the moment I'm standing in. Moments pass. Yeah. yeah. They really do. They pass. And, not, not, and I don't mean that like, well, just, just sit around and they pass. No. I mean, God, the Holy Spirit, took the steering wheel, and he's guiding this, and my mind starts going to all the positives. And you could think me sick, and maybe I am. Heck, I don't know. I mean, but I don't interrupt it. Uh, I'm liking it. Uh, because I'm thinking, you know what? There was a day where I was going to have to move all of those antiques somewhere. Well, I grieve that they're gone, but on the positive side, I won't be moving those. <laughs> I, I know you're thinking, what a crazy. I know, but it's just how my mind works. Because uh, right now, I'm looking at all the positives. Stacy and I had prepared a, an apartment to move my mom, and we've been talking for two years and trying to get her used to the idea that, you know, we need, we need to be closer. And so we already, about three weeks into renting an apartment for her, we, her apartment's rented, furnished, and I just had gotten the televisions on, and Thanksgiving was going to be when we kind of take her to introduce her to it. Well, guess what? We got a, just a blunt, bold face introduction. It's like uh, no coaxing necessary. We, uh, she's in our house now, and she doesn't want to go over there, so y'all could pray about that. I mean, she's having <laughs> to get used to that. We got to get her from the house to the apartment, or Stacy and I are going to be living in that apartment. But um, we're working. Is this too real for you? I, I'm trying just to let you know. We're, we're in a yucky we, we're, in a, we're standing in a yucky right now. But when you have hope, yeah. it, you, you just kind of diminish 
I know this will end. And it won't just end because it's like, oh, it'll. No, we're moving. We're headed somewhere. I'm looking for next steps. How do we move this thing forward? We'll take time. And I know later on, once everything gets settled down, I'll drive back out there and I'll probably sit in that driveway and I'll shed a few tears and run some memories. Now's not the time. I'm too busy hoping and planning. And here's what I know. I know the plans he has for my mom are for her welfare and not calamity, to give her a future. And man, I see all the positives that are lining up here to go, you know what? You got to play the cards on the table and you can cry about them or you can play them to win. And uh, man, we just look at the cards and go, God has never been dealt a hand. He doesn't win with. He kind of likes the challenge. And so I want to encourage you. If you're going through a yucky place, here's what David said. Why are you so discouraged, oh, my soul? And he was running for his life. That's why he was discouraged, living in caves and eating, you know, wild dog or something. That's something to be discouraged about. But he's talking to himself out there and saying, why are you discouraged in me, oh, my soul? Put your hope. Everybody say hope. hope. Put your hope in God. And he says this, I will yet praise him. Do you know what he's doing? He's predicting there are praiseworthy things in my future. I haven't run into them now. I'm yucky. I'm out here in the cave of Abdullah. I you know, hadn't had a shower in months and all that. It's yucky right now, but I've been called to be king. Someday, I will have praiseworthy things. The circumstances now, I have to kind of you know, fake it a little bit. But I know in my future because I know my God. Yes. And I want to encourage you. Somebody in here, you're in a yucky now in your marriage, in your finances, in your business it's just yucky right now, and you're looking for indicators in the now, and you might not get them this week. I'm not here to promise you anything. I want you to know we don't preach a gospel that says, come to Jesus, and he'll make your problems go away. Today, some of you are going to be born again of the Spirit, and you had a problem at work on Friday, and I got to tell you, on Monday morning, he will still be there, or she will, or whatever it is. That problem isn't going to go necessarily anywhere. You'll get stronger at how to respond to those things. But Jesus told the disciples, I mean, before he left, he talked for, we just went through the whole series, John 14, 15, and 16, he talked about the Holy Spirit. Guys, it's going to get rough, but I'm sending you a helper. You're not even going to see him. He won't even call attention to himself, but he'll be there. And his last words to them, listen, in this world, guys, come in and listen close. All you guys, come in here. In this world, you're going to have trouble. Jesus said that. It's going, yeah, and I'm not talking about lost your phone or your tire went flat trouble, like, oh my God, the devil's attacking me. I'm talking about faith shaking. How in the world did that happen? Where'd that come from? That kind of trouble. You're going to have that, fellas, but several versions be of good cheer or take heart. Several ways he says it. And again, I don't think it was like, now take heart. It was like, hey, anchor down here, boys. Anchor down here. I'm not going anywhere. The Holy Spirit's not going anywhere. The word is still true. And even those circumstances aren't going to endorse what I'm telling you. My word stands up against your circumstances. You hope in me. Amen. Stand strong in me. You with me? Amen. So prophetic word to those of you that are in a yucky season. Hope you're going to get through this. Amen. 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 Number two. And I only got two points for you. And then we're going to receive communion together. Number two. Hope you can get back up. You can get back up. You will get through this, and you can get back up. I'll try to make this as simple as I can. Isaiah 43, you've got to hear it with Jewish ears, Hebrew ears, all right? It starts, again, it says, Thus the Lord who created you, O Jacob, and who formed you, O Israel, fear not, for I've redeemed you. I've called you by your name. You are mine. Now, 
I mean, you could read that and go, hallelujah. There's a whole lot getting said here, and here's what the Jewish ear was hearing. They knew their forefathers are Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. They know the story of Jacob, that Jacob's name was changed by God to Israel. Jacob, Israel, one and the same person except for to God. To God, there was no Jacob. He said, God told him later in Genesis, never again will you be called Jacob. As mama called him Jacob, brothers called him Jacob, sons called him, our dad's name's Jacob. Everybody else was calling him Jacob. But God said, your name is Israel. I've called you by your name, and you are mine. Anchor it down. What am I saying to you through all that? All right, quick story. Uh, Jacob, uh, when he was born, he was born a twin. Abraham had Isaac. Isaac had, uh, excuse me, Abraham had Isaac. Isaac had uh, Jacob and Esau, right? Twins born. Uh, Esau was the first one to come, uh, his first one out of the twins. And so he was given in the Jewish uh, custom, given the birthright, which means the inheritance, twice the inheritance of anybody else in the family. And he would be given the leadership responsibility of the family business and everything else. I mean, it was quite a blessing and an honor to be the firstborn male in the Jewish world. All right. He comes out first, but, but Jacob is behind him, scrapping to try to beat him out. And so his parents lovingly called him Jacob. That was his birth, birth name. Uh, but God spoke over him when he was born, and he said, this ain't going to work. The older, the firstborn is actually going to serve the younger, and I am going to carry my son through the, the scrawny one. The, the unlikely one, that, that's who I'm going to use. Well, his dad didn't hear that. And so the two boys grow up, Esau and Jacob, okay? Just so you know, Esau was the father's favorite. He was a deer hunter. He liked to go out and kill venison. He was a hairy guy. He played football. He was a linebacker. He was a gym rat. Uh, he had some brain injuries. He was a little slower <laughs> than uh, Jacob. You'll see that here in a moment. He drove an F-150, dip snuff, had a Semper Fi bumper sticker. You getting this? He was that guy. And uh, he was the guy that, you know, you know his, his mother and father were, you know, at the school, uh, you know, every once in a while trying to get him. He, he was in trouble. He was, you know, causing fights. But he was, he, he was that kid uh, that had season tickets to the, you know, cage fighting. That, that was the son. All right. Jacob now, so that was Esau. Jacob was very different, and his dad just favored the older son. Jacob hung around his mom and learned to cook. You know, so he had cookbooks and recipes that he was trying, and uh, he, was a, he was a conniver. He was the sneaky kid. Uh, mom and dad were also at the school every two weeks trying to describe, I, I'm, we will pay for a wig for Susie's hair. I, I'm so sorry. <laughs> I mean, J Jacob was the conniving little kid that looked kind of Eddie Haskell, those of you that are old enough to know who that is. He was the guy that was, I'll say this, he was a politician. Shake your hand and smile while he's robbing you blind, lying through his teeth. And uh, don't get me going. <clears throat> so the name Jacob means deceiver, liar, conniver, right? So, I mean, if you know you were pregnant or looking for baby names, Little liar. <laughs> what parent does that to their child? <laughs> liar. 
We like Esau. The point being, all of his life, he lived up to his name. He never stopped. I mean, he was the kid that, like, yeah, when his brother was at football, he was at home. You know, uh, he, did, he drove, you know, like a Mini Cooper and uh, <laughs> little flowery, you know, things on his bumper and he'd watch The Bachelorette. He was that kid. <laughs> and at home, and the two guys were very, very different. But all, gang, here's what you need to know. He was always conniving. He, he was like all of us. And here's what I want you to know. There's Jacob. There's a Jacob in every seat in here. There's a Jacob. Because he sinned and he connived. Here's all he was wanting. Please tell me. This is what blessing means. Bless me. Dad, please tell me I'm okay. Please tell me my identity isn't in what I do or how I feel, or what y'all have called me all my, please, I, there's something bigger inside of me. I can't find it. I need somebody above me to tell me I'm okay. And while his brother was promised the blessing of the birthright, he was jealous of it. Jacob was because he knew I am more than conniver liar. Y'all want to call me liar? liar? I'll, I'll lie and connive then. I'll live up to it. Some of you are raising Jacobs, and you're wondering, my God, are they possessed? What's going on with them? And I will tell you, something's driving them. They're acting out because there's something bigger on the inside that's trying to find itself and trying to find an identity, and it doesn't know how to find it. So it's acting out in resentment and hatred and all kinds of other things. But the truth is there's some greatness in there that God put in there. They're looking for somebody to affirm it. Tell me something other than I'm a liar. God, can you imagine being raised with that? And so Jacob is growing up all of these years, and he's got one thing. I want my dad to tell me I'm okay. And so instead of going about it in a way that a thinking person, actually was a very thinking person, his brother was a knucklehead, not the brightest candle on the cake. And so his brother comes in hungry. He had been trying out new recipes. And so he tricks his brother into... uh, Again, it's all the head injuries from football. He tricked his brother into trading the food he had made for his birthright. That's a big deal because the birthright, again, was a double portion of the inheritance, all kinds of responsibility. Now he's got to go trick dad. So mom and dad get together, and the dad had gone blind. Jacob dresses up in sheepskin. He puts, you know, deer scent, that horrible smell all over him. Uh, just all kinds of nasty things on him. And he, and he goes to his father and he says, Dad, it's Esau. I'm Esau. He lies to his dad. He said, you sound like Jacob, but you smell like Esau. Come, let me, let me feel the hairy arms. And he had put you know, goat skins and stuff on him. Sure enough, he's able to coerce a blessing intended for Esau out of his dad so that the legal thing was settled. He would get the inheritance. But what he was really after, he didn't get. He really wanted somebody to tell him, look, that's not who you are. Jacob, that's not, I, I have misnamed you. Bless me, dad, bless me. Here's what he was willing to do. I'll act like somebody I'm not in order to get, even if it's just a, an insincere blessing, it's something. Anybody relate to that? I'll act like somebody I'm not because I'm desperate for somebody to approve of me. Even if they're liking the person I've invented, at least it's something. Got a whole culture drowning in building images to get people to like that aren't even them. 
if they actually discover, if they like your image, what are the chances they're actually going to like you? Anyway, got a whole, Jacob's no different than us. And all of a sudden, Jacob's in trouble because now his brother finds it out, football playing, weightlifting, and his mother comes and says, Jacob, bad news, your brother is laughing and entertaining himself by the multiple ways he's going to torture and kill you. That's never good. In a family situation, it's never good. So Jacob hauls out of there, and for 25 years, roughly, he's on the you know, just running from his life, goes in and meets a guy named Laban, who would be his father-in-law. My father-in-law is here today, by the way. Would y'all give uh, Mr. Doyle Montgomery a, a hand? Miss Montgomery, my, my uh, very, very holy uh, mother-in-law as well. Give her a great hand. Is that <laughs> Diane? Oh, Brooklyn. And my beautiful niece there, Brooklyn. Go ahead, we'll just give them all a hand, yeah. We're going to go name by name and just... So he goes out there. He meets his father-in-law. Uh, the father-in-law messes him around and gives him the daughter that he didn't want. And that's another story. I'm passing up all kinds of jokes for that one. And he works seven more years for Laban. And uh, ultimately, uh, so ultimately Esau's trying to kill him, but he aggravates Laban so much Laban wants to kill him. And the truth is, all of his conniving ways are starting to boil down. He's got two guys wanting to kill him. He's got the wife he wants and a wife he doesn't want. That can't be great on Thanksgiving. He's got concubines. He's got all kinds of things going on, but it's all boiling down. He goes to meet, and I'm leaving out so many details, and you're gonna go read it from about Genesis 37, 38. Just read it all the way through if you want all the details. Uh, anyway, they, they get down to... Um, Jacob gets down to a point where uh, Esau's got 400 guys and he's coming to kill him. He's camping because he knows this, it's, we're about to, it's about to go down. He sends all of his family away and still he's got this thing eating at him. Tell me somebody that I'm not what I feel, how I sin, how, what other people say about me. Please tell me. And so... Jesus meets him. It's, a, it's an appearance of Jesus as a man. This is uh, Genesis 32. It says, uh, this left Jacob all alone in the camp, and a man came and wrestled with him. This is called a Christophany, an appearance of Jesus in the Old Testament. Wrestled with him until the dawn began to break. And when the man, Jesus, saw that he would not win, and now you got to know he's toying with Jacob, he touched Jacob's hip and wrenched it out of its socket. The man said, let me go for the dawn is breaking. Now, this is what I want you to see. Jacob said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. Man, he knew he, who he was dealing with. This is, what, this is why God chose him, by the way. I will not let you go unless you bless me. What is your name? Isn't that an interesting question that Jesus would ask him? What is your name? What are you called? How are you identified? He replied, my name is Jacob, surplanter, liar. Your name will no longer be Jacob, the man told him. From now on, you will be called Israel, which means my prince, which means wrestled with God. I'll get to all the meanings of Israel. Because you fought with God and with men and have won. Please tell me your name, Jacob said. Why do you want to know my name, the man replied. Then he blessed him. He goes on to say, I've seen God face to face and lived. 
this was an, a, a Christophany, a, a Jesus appearing and uh, was messing. Here's what he was trying to draw out of Jacob. Jacob, all of your life, you've been on a hunt and acting out, trying to get this identity thing met, and I put it there when you were born because I've called greatness out of you. I have come to call the Israel out of the Jacob that's in you. And when he met him, he was saying, please tell me. Tell me I'm not the way I sin. Tell me that my identity is not in the way my parents have treated me. Please tell me it's not about how I feel or what others are saying about me. Tell me there's something more to who I am. And when he said, I will not let you go, God, until you bless me, it is that tenacity right there. That's why God chose him in the first place. That, that name, when he said, here's the blessing, no longer will you be called deceiver, liar, politician, and all of that, no longer, never again, you will be called Israel, which means my prince, which means son of the king. You will be called Israel, which means you wrestle with God, but here's the picture. You wrestle with God because you recognize you are, you have the birthright. You are, if you will, a firstborn in the kingdom of God. You are deserving of the inheritance and you know it. And you're not willing to walk away when God has made you a promise. It's that kind of wrestling. It's not like you're so big and bad you walk up arrogantly to God. He will thump you on the head. It's about when the scripture says, come boldly to the throne of grace. Like you belong there because the price it took to get you there, it made it so you do belong there. And no no, you have an inheritance, and don't pray and walk away without your inheritance. That's a lack of faith. Stand there and say to God, I will not leave here until you bless me. What you've promised in your word, I'm an heir. That inheritance is mine, and I'm not saying this arrogantly. I'm calling heaven and earth to account to the word of God, and I'm standing, and I believe it, and I will not leave this position until you bless me. It's that kind of wrestling that that word depicts and that's what his name was changed to. And when God sends Isaiah to talk to Israel, and he says, oh, Jacob, that I created, the, the word created in the, in the Hebrew, it means dispatched. To, to dispatch somebody, it means this. I've sent you to a particular place for a particular reason, for a particular purpose. You've been dispatched. The, the, the firemen were dispatched to my mother's house because it was on fire, and their purpose was to put it out. I have dispatched you, O Jacob, but I have called or created out of you Israel. And then he says this, I have called you by your name. You will be who I say you are because you are mine. When he says that, that's what he's saying to Israel. You think your circumstances and you're identified because of what you've done wrong. Yeah, can I just put this out here? Oh, church, we got to get a little better. We got to get a lot better at how we identify people. We identify them by their sin. I'm going to read your scripture out instead of me just barking at it. I'm just, the Bible says that we're to know no man after the, the flesh. 2 Corinthians 5, 16 says, Therefore, from now on, we regard no one according to the flesh or according to the Jacobness about them. Even though there is flesh and there's nastiness, even though we have known Christ according to the flesh, yet we now know him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, if you're here and you're saved and you're in Christ, this isn't a small change. It's not like a moderate behavioral change. You're a new creation. 
Old things have passed away. No longer Jacob. Behold, all things have become new. You are Israel. Now all things are of God, who has reconciled us to himself through Jesus Christ and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. That is that God was in Christ, reconciling the world to himself, not imputing their trespasses. And you got it. Uh, verse 20. Now then, we are ambassadors for Christ, as though God were pleading through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled. Be reconciled to God. This is what begs through us. But here's the kicker verse, verse 21. For he, God, made him Jesus, who knew no sin, to become sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in Christ. Let me say it again. He made him Jesus to become Jacob so that Jacob could then become Israel, the righteousness of God in Christ. If you're here today and you've received Jesus Christ as Savior, you likely still identify by how you sin, how you're failing, how you're feeling, what others have said about you your whole life, all of that stuff, and you need to know available, God is speaking to you today in fact, this is the word, and it's very strong. Get up. Get up. Get up out of that identity. God is looking for some people that will hold on to him, not arrogantly, but boldly and say, I will not let you go until you bless me. It isn't about financial blessing or anything. I want you to pronounce over me who I am. If I have that, I can walk. I can, I can do anything if I have that. He made him who knew no sin to become sin so that we could become the righteousness of God in Christ. Now, here's the word to you. If you have been saved, you feel like you're a sinner, because that's your tendencies, trying to be righteous, right? You're trying to be righteous. God says no longer do you call yourself sinner? The blood of Jesus should not be insulted or considered so weak that it didn't make you a new creation. The scripture says he made Jesus to be sin so that you could be called now the righteousness of God in Christ. You are not a sinner who's trying occasionally to be righteous. That's a, that's a weak, pansy Christianity, sickening. You are the righteousness of God in Christ. You are capable of occasionally sinning, but that doesn't change your identity. When you, when you live every time you fail and go, oh, that's just who I am. I've done that before. See, nothing's changed. That is not the truth at all. You are righteous at the core, and God says, I will not refer to you as sinner. I've placed my name on you. You are mine and if you begin to see yourself the way God and what the, what the cross did for you, you will, you will by accident be more righteous than by going, oh, I'm such a terrible person. I got to try and do better. Man, that is the devil's hold to keep you as a believer just buried and beneath his purposes. God has dispatched you. And as we take this communion today, and if you would, go ahead. is what's happening in this room right now, and it's not maybe everybody. I believe, though, getting ready for this today, that there are folks that have come here very defeated because you have failed. No, I mean, I'm in a struggle right now. I'm in a struggle with my flesh, 
and it's informing you, you're never gonna change. See, that's really who you are. You're trying to be righteous. Man, and God has brought you here today to say, no, we're gonna fight this battle from a position of strength. You're not trying to be righteous. You're, not, you're never gonna be righteous by your trying. There is no getting righteous by you trying. Jesus Christ is our substitute. He's perfectly righteousness. And God has identified you with the same righteousness. You're the righteousness of God in Christ. How righteous is God? Extremely righteous. I don't know how right. Righteous. And it isn't because of your behavior that you're deemed righteous. It's because of Jesus' behavior. And it's a thing that you don't receive by arrogance. You receive it by humility and say, God, I don't feel an ounce of this, but you're not identified by what you feel. You're identified by what he's done for you. And when you begin to talk to yourself the way he talks to you and identify yourself as, listen, I am the righteousness of God in Christ. I'm not just cocky about that. I'm just comfortable with it. I'm the righteousness of God in Christ. I am capable of failure. And sometimes I do. And sometimes you do as well. That doesn't cancel out what the blood of Jesus has done for you. God brought some folks here today, and here's his word to you. Get back up. Fallen into sin, you've tripped, you've had a bad week, you had a bad day, you did something yesterday. I'm not okaying sin, and please don't send emails about it. Look, sin's bad, sin hurts you, sin will keep you in shame management the rest of your life. It's a horrible, it's a horrible way to live. And being sorta in and sorta out is miserable. I'm here to clear the waters. If you'll talk to yourself about who you really are and what salvation actually did for you, you will by accident overcome sin than by you know, gritting your teeth with straitjacket disciplines going, oh God, I'm gonna try to be better. Stop trying. Talk to yourself about who you are. You are the righteousness of God. Yes. You're not a sinner trying to be righteous. It's your new creation. So here's the word to you. If you've been through one of those weeks or you're in a period right now where you're really struggling and it's telling you, you're, you're, you know, nothing's really changed. That's just, God has brought you here to say, the same Holy Spirit that raised Christ Jesus, dead body. Why was Jesus crucified? Because your sin fell on him. My sin fell on him. He died because of sin and the wrath of God fell on him that should have fell on me and you. It fell on his body. And he died. The scripture says the same Holy Spirit that visited that tomb after being killed because of my sin and the wrath of God came into his body and raised him up again. And if that same spirit that raised his dead body from the grave dwells in you, you can get back up. Amen. You can get back up. So today, let's, as we take this, we come to this communion table, we don't do it to grovel over something. We come here to celebrate the covenant we have with God, and it's more powerful than anybody here has ever explained, certainly this preacher. So let's celebrate. This represents his body, and it represents the fact that it did die, but it got back up. And right now as we take it, I want you to feel the strength of God saying, you can get back up. Heavenly Father, in the name of Jesus, thank you that Jesus Christ came in bodily form, and every sin that ever overcame me, he overcame it on my behalf, and he won victory over it. He lived perfectly to give me his perfection, and he took our sin, and you punished my sin in his body, and his body died. 
but you sent your spirit and breathed life back into his body and raised him from the dead. And the same spirit that raised Christ Jesus from the dead dwells in me so I can get back up. We celebrate this truth. And today, as we take this bread, we get back up. We get back up by that same spirit. Father, would you bless the bread as we take it in Jesus' name. Gang, let's take it together. By the same token, the guilt and the shame and everything that creates condemnation, the guilt and the shame that speaks to us when we have failed. Hebrews tells us that the blood of Jesus speaks a better word. What's representing me before God, I plead the blood, and the blood is the strongest and the final word over my life. And no matter what guilt or shame or failure that tries to speak on my behalf, the blood speaks on my my behalf. It speaks a better word. It speaks a better word. So, Lord Jesus, we come before you, and for every person, all of us in here have failed at times and need to get back up. But especially, Lord, there's some folks that are, that are really crippled this week. I thank you that the blood of Jesus, it's speaking right now. It's speaking mercy, forgiveness, grace, get back up, strength, accepted. It is advocating for me and speaking louder for me than sin is speaking against me. And it's setting me free from the bonds of sinning. So, Lord Jesus, thank you that you spills your blood and that you advocate for us and the blood of Jesus is speaking for us more powerfully than sin is speaking against us. And because of that, we can get back up. Would you bless this cup as we drink it today in Jesus' name? Would you stand to your feet? I'd like prayer teams to come to the front. I cannot say this strong enough. Don't give sin a bunch of credit. Don't give the devil a bunch of credit. If you failed, repent, but listen, I can't say this strong enough. Get back up and get in the game. Get back up. We need you on the field. The blood of Jesus has handled it. Get back up. I just, somebody needs to hear that. Get back up. All right? I want to pray over you. When we conclude here today, if you've never given your life to Christ, it's very simple, guys. It's very simple. It's not about the words you say nearly. It's about about what's going on in your life right now, your heart. God, the Holy Spirit, is in this room, and he's the only one that can convince you that you're a sinner. But when you recognize, man, I'm a sinner. I need a Savior. That's the moment you need to react and say, God, save me. And the Holy Spirit of God is in this room, and you've been wondering, man, why won't he shut up? I've got to pray and do something. That anxiety is a holy anxiety, and he's been working that in you so that today's your invitation day to be a part of the family of God. In fact, let me just lead you in prayer. If you're here today and you've never received Jesus as Savior or you're unclear, we're going to all pray together, and the Holy Spirit of God is tapping on you right now. It's subtle, but you respond to that, and you will be saved. It's a big deal. New creation. Would you all bow your heads and repeat after me? Heavenly Father, I'm a sinner, and I've sinned against you, and I'm fully responsible. Please forgive me. I believe Jesus Christ is the Son of God. He lived for me. He bled for me. 
and he died for me to pay for all my sin. I believe you raised him from the dead. And I receive Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. Thank you for saving me. Thank you for forgiveness. Thank you for a new identity. Baptize me in your Holy Spirit. Fill me to the brim. Jesus' name. Praise God. With your heads bowed and your eyes closed, if you just prayed that prayer sincerely, would you lift your hand very boldly and just say, I just gave my life to Christ. Just lift it boldly. I see those up there. Great, 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 great. Put your hands down. Let me pray over our final act. Father, our final act of worship is in the giving of our offerings. And Lord, people in here today, us, uh, money tries to compete for, for, for your role in our life. And uh, God, we just, right now, we just submit our finances to you and say, money will not tell us how to worship. We subdue that. Money is a, a tool. And right now, we bring it to you in our tithe and in our offering, and we ask your blessings on the finances, on our income, on the places we work, on our investments. God, I pray for the blessing of God, the favor of God in where we've invested. I ask that you would open windows of heaven and pour out blessing we cannot contain. And Lord, we are heirs to that promise. I'm an heir to that promise, and I've yet to see so much poured out that we can't contain it. And so with, with, with confidence in your word, we just stand and say, God, as we bring the tithe, there's a promise that remains. And as heirs of the promise, thank you. We stand and we believe we will be blessed beyond what we will know what to do with. That's the promise. And we stand for that, Lord. Let the wealth of the wicked be released into the kingdom so the kingdom efforts can be uh, funded in the name of Jesus. And Lord, receive all of this, this giving as an act of worship. We bless the tithe. We bless all the giving. We ask that you'd receive it again as an act of worship. And Lord, bless this day and all you have for us in Jesus' name. Everybody said amen. Thanks for listening to this week's sermon. Find more of our podcasts on iTunes or in our audio library at thecrossing.cc.